Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah edition as the Bengals look for their third road win in as many weeks as they head to New Jersey to take on the 1-5 New York Jets. Coming up, I'll talk to Boomer Esiason about Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and a Cincinnati team that's currently the number one playoff seed in the AFC. My one-on-one player interview is with Eli Apple as he returns to the place where his NFL career began, MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and share some keys to beating New York. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss the struggling Jets with a guy who has covered the team for more than 30 years, Rich Samini from ESPN. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Theo Salted Almond Dark Chocolate Candy Bar. This particular candy bar is a big expensive one that's not meant to be eaten at one time. It's broken up into eight squares, so if I need a little sugar fix, one square typically does the trick. For me, it's the perfect combo. A sweet and salty blend of intense dark chocolate with a few crunchy almonds and just the right amount of Himalayan salt. It's made by Theo Chocolate out of Seattle, and it is candy bar genius. Now, time for my first guest. He's one of two quarterbacks, so far to take the Bengals to the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow has tied the Bengals' record for most touchdown passes through the first seven games of a season with 17, and he now shares it with Boomer Esiason, who did that back in 1988 when he was MVP and the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Boomer, the Bengals are tied for first in the AFC North after stopping on Baltimore last week. Have they arrived, in your opinion? Well, I mean, certainly they, they have arrived, Dan, and I just want to say congratulations to Joe Burrow and thank him for making me relevant in this discussion uh, when it really should be all about them and, and what they've accomplished thus far. But, you know, they're, no, they're the number one seed in the AFC right now as well. So uh, that is quite an accomplishment. But I think every guy uh, on that team and every coach and everybody that's associated with the team will tell you that it's nice to be where they are. Uh, They probably expected to be here. I think they're there a little bit earlier than I thought they were going to be. But certainly, um, you know, there's so much more to accomplish. And this week, you know, in what would be considered a complete letdown opportunity here for them, uh, you know, really good teams don't lose the teams that, uh, that they shouldn't. And they play the Jets this week and the Jets are an awful football team, a team that is where the Bengals were three years ago under the first year of Zach Taylor. So they got to come in and they got to stomp the Jets and come away with a big victory. And, you know, then they kind of show you that they're mature and that their understanding of what uh, their expectations truly should be. And that is to win every single time that they step out on the field. Boomer, you traveled to Cincinnati and spent time with Joe Burrow at the beginning of training camp. Did you expect him to play this well, this fast, coming back from knee surgery? Well, I wasn't sure, you know, and I did ask him how he felt with the knee. And I remember meeting him in August and he was uh, itching to get back out on the field and to start playing football again. You know, he spent the entire offseason rehabbing 
and then spent even more time with his private quarterback coach, Jordan Palmer, working on deep ball throwing and the strength of his arm. So that actually told me then and there that how much he really cared about the position. What I didn't know is just uh, the type of personality that he has. He has a, 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 he's a very confident guy. Let's put it that way. He may not show it outwardly outside of uh, the Cincinnati Bengals locker room and their practice facility, but internally, and especially on the NFL films clips that I have heard of him this year, you know that he's confident and you can feel it that the rest of the team is confident in him. So um, it's, I guess I, I, my answer to you then, Dan, would be no, I'm not surprised because what I didn't know about him is, uh, is that personality trait that he has. And I think the more success that the Bengals have, the more the outside world uh, will understand who he is as a personality. He is a very big personality. And I think most of the guys on that team, if not all of them, are feeding off of that. You referred to him on TV recently as the perfect person for this franchise. Why? His personality. You have to have a, I believe, a dynamic personality uh, to lead them to the next level. You know, Andy Dalton had a really great career there. So did Carson Palmer. Um, I would say that they were more aligned personality-wise. Maybe they were, you know, privately they were very common in their abilities, but they weren't outwardly uh, in, impactful, I think, on the entire team. And Carson's time there ended much like my time there the first time, and that was on a sour note. Um, Andy kind of just uh, got pushed aside because they got to a certain point with he and, and uh, Marvin, and it was really more about Marvin than it really was about Andy. Uh, this team is about Joe Burrow. This is his team. He probably has the absolute perfect coach in Zach Taylor. And by the way, I had to remind people this past Sunday that Zach Taylor is actually the head coach of the Bengals because I'm not sure that anybody outside of Cincinnati knows that. So, um, you know, this could be a match made in heaven, uh, much like it was for me and Sam Weish. And the similarities between the 88 team and, and this particular team, you know, are significant, but more the 85 team because that's when we drafted Eddie Brown. And Eddie Brown, you know, made our offense complete. He was the dynamic wide receiver that we needed the game changer. And I think that's exactly what Jamar Chase has brought to the Bengal offense. Well, you interviewed Jamar last week for the NFL Today, and I thought it was really interesting. You brought up the sixth sense that he seems to have with Joe Burrow going back to their days at LSU. And before you would even finish the question, this ear-to-ear -ear grin appears on Jamar's face. Do you see that sixth sense when you watch those two guys? I, I do. There's no question about that. There's a comfort zone that he has that other wide receivers in the league do not have at this young age. And that is that he has his quarterback that he trusts. And there's no question that there is a very significant bond between the two men. And, you know, I think I felt that when I talked to Joe Burrow back in August for NFL Network. And I certainly felt that when I spoke to Jamar Chase this past week. So you can see that there's a trust, that there's a respect for one another. There's probably a genuine love for each other, too, to be honest with you. Uh, they have uh, participated in many big games together. There's going to be a lot of other big games that they're going to continue to play in together. And that bond is only going to get stronger. And you can tell that that bond right there is ignited, not only the offense, but the, the whole city. Like, the, like, this is what the Bengal fans, you know, long for all these years. And when I think about, you know, uh, Carson Palmer and Chad Ochocinco or Chad Johnson, whatever he's calling himself these days, and on top of that, Andy Dalton with A.J. Green, this is this, is this dynamic uh, partnership that is going to basically fuel the energy 
uh, for the entire team. And guys like Joe Mixon and T Higgins and CJ Usama, all these guys are going to be feeding off of that. So it, it was the right draft choice. And I also found out something else that wasn't in that interview, Dan. And I'm, I don't know if you know this, but Jamar told me that Joe Burrow called him the night before the draft and said, uh, pack your bags, you're coming to Cincinnati. Like what the rest of us are out there thinking, is it Penny Sewell, is it Jamar Chase, what is it? Uh, Joe Burrow knew that it was going to be Jamar Chase the night before. One more Joe Burrow question for you. Does it drive you a little nutty when he doesn't slide or run out of bounds? You know, he's a, um, he's a real athlete. You know, he's, remember, he was a point guard in, in, college, in high school, I should say, at, I, I think at Athens High School. And when I, when I heard that he was, a, uh, well, he was a great basketball player and a point guard, then I knew that he had a sixth sense about, you know, playing quarterback and, and how he could transfer that ability as a point guard into playing quarterback because ultimately that's what we are we are the ultimate point guards we're the ones that are directing our entire offense and you know giving players that we play with maybe a tip before a play or we're talking on the sideline about redesigning a play given what we're seeing on the other side of the ball from the opposing defense um i, I just think that you know he's such a gifted and talented athlete that he is driven to, to maybe put himself in some bad situations. But, you know, he'll learn like the rest of us had to learn uh, the hard way. Uh, hopefully he doesn't take any more hits to that knee and is smart about it, especially when he gets to the sideline. You know, one, one thing about young players at our position and myself included, uh, we put ourselves in bad situations because we don't realize just how fast the opposing defenses are. I think Joe is starting to understand that a little bit more and that's one of the reasons why I think like when you see the pirouette in the uh, the pocket and then the ball coming out so effortlessly uh, that means the game is slowing down for him so hopefully he's smart about you know taking the hits when he should um, but I also understand the aggressive nature of the athlete that he is. A few more questions for the great Boomer Esaias and the Bengals offense has been dynamic the last couple of weeks topping 30 points in each of their last two games but the defense has been great for all seven, currently fifth in the league and fewest points allowed. It's a relatively small sample size, but have we reached the point where you think the Bengals have one of the better defenses in the NFL? You know, in the NFL today, last week, prior to playing the Ravens, I got a chance to talk about the offense because I love it and I love what I see there. And there's a lot of similarities to what we were able to accomplish. But Coach Cower wanted to talk about the defense. He wanted to talk about a rebuilt defense and the new faces on that defense. And I was thinking back to why did the Bengals let Carl Lawson go? Why did they let the Jets sign him in the offseason? Well, I, I know now it's because of injury, not because he wasn't a good player. It's because he couldn't stay on the field. And they felt like they probably needed to redo a lot of things on defense. And they did that. And they brought guys. And I thought their defensive plan, by the way, last week against Lamar Jackson was unbelievable. You could see when you go back and watch the tape, the All-22, and fans should do this uh, on Game Pass, NFL Game Pass. They can go back and you could see kind of like the umbrella way that they were trying to rush Lamar, trying to keep him in the pocket. And if he was going to escape, it was going to be up the middle. And if it was going to be up the middle, he was going to run into somebody. So whatever the game plan was, it was it was perfectly executed from a defensive standpoint. And even Coach Gower said last week before the game that the real underlying significant improvement for the Bengals is on the defensive side of the ball. So I think we all see that. And I also think their kicking game has been solid this year. So there's a lot to like, you know, halfway through the season and hopefully they can keep it up. As you noted earlier, right now, they're the number one playoff seed in the AFC. They're one of six teams that has two losses. Is the AFC wide open or do you think one of those teams is still 
the most likely team to advance to the Super Bowl? You know, I, I do think that Buffalo and Cincinnati right now are playing the best. Their quarterbacks are playing great. You know, Buffalo was off last week, so we'll see them back in action again this week. Cincinnati should win this week against uh, the Jets, so that this should stand, I think, through the weekend that the, the Bills have the Dolphins. Um, you know, it would be great to see a 19, uh, you know, 88 reunion between the Bills and the, the Bengals and maybe maybe even host the AFC championship game in Cincinnati. Now, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm allowed to do that. I'm in the media now. I would never do that if I were a player because that would be considered touching the money and touching the money. It's a form of bad luck that I would not want to get into if I were a player. But, uh, you know, do I dare to dream to think that that could be the, the case? I would think so. There are a couple teams that, you know, got off to slow starts that are going to be pretty good teams uh, when we get to December and January, assuming that they stay healthy. The Colts will be one of those teams. Uh, I don't know where Kansas City is going to be in this mix. This is going to be really interesting to see what happens to them. They may not make the playoffs, but the Chargers and the Raiders are really good teams. Uh, and I do believe if you have to play the New England Patriots later on in the season or in the beginning of the playoffs, that they will be a formidable foe as well. So uh, it is wide open, I guess, to answer your question. But the interesting thing is, is that the Bengals are right there. And I think most people now, at least on a national level outside of Cincinnati, are, are taking the Bengals seriously, which is a good thing. Last thing, Boomer. You became a grandfather last year when your daughter, Sydney, had a baby. And now your son, Gunner, is going to be a dad. That would not have been possible if not for the work the Esiason Foundation has done about cystic fibrosis research. It is remarkable to me that being an NFL MVP and taking a team to the Super Bowl is the second most important thing you have done in your lifetime. Do you feel that your skills athletically and as a communicator were the reason you were put on this earth to, to try to fight that disease? There's a lot of destiny and irony uh, in Gunnar's diagnosis back in 1993. There's no question about that. Um, I think the NFL afforded me an amazing platform and I exploited that platform without any apology. Um, and Gunnar is living today at the age of 30, uh, proving that what we started uh, some 27 years ago really has left a, an indelible mark on the cystic fibrosis community. So uh, the fact that he's 30 years old, the fact that he's doing better now than he's ever done in his life, the fact that he's gotten his master's degree, he's gotten married, and he's going to be a father himself come this December is nothing short of a miracle. And to me, Dan, whether it was me that was chosen or Frank DeFord that was chosen or my friend Tommy Hughes or Jay Crandall or all the other dads and moms that have been a part of this fight for all these years, uh, I think uh, much like a quarterback, I, I feel very satisfied that we all did this together and that Gunner is a, a living, breathing miracle. And the story really truly hasn't been totally told. And hopefully it will be uh, one of these days because, uh, you know, I prayed to God every night uh, that science would lead us to uh, an answer. And uh, God and science together has delivered uh, me a miracle in so many ways that I can't even uh, really uh, talk to because we don't have the time to. But I can just tell you that uh, when Gunner becomes a dad in December, it's going to be one of those amazing moments that uh, that I only could have hoped and prayed would have happened, and, and it's going to. It's tremendous. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to Gunner. And thank you so much for your time. It's always a treat to have you on. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Always great to see you. 
Since its inception, the Boomer Esiason Foundation has raised more than $115 million to support research toward finding a cure for cystic fibrosis, as well as programs directly benefiting the CF community. If you would like to help, go to esiason.org. You'll find some great Team Boomer gear. Up next, my one-on-one visit with defensive back Eli Apple, who's played a big role on one of the NFL's most dominant defenses to date. Eli, last week against Baltimore, you did not allow a catch. Two weeks ago against Detroit, you did not allow a catch. Three weeks ago against Green Bay, you only allowed one. Are you playing the best football of your NFL career? And if so, why? Uh, no, I think we're just playing really confident ball as a group right now. Um, everybody's clicking, and the communication is great. And for me, it's just about doing my job. So I'm just doing what I can put myself in positions to make plays, and whenever the targets come, I want to make the play. I think this stat might surprise some people. You've played the most snaps of any Bengals cornerback this year, more than Chidabe Awuje, more than Mike Hilton. What's it mean to you to play such a prominent role on a defense that's currently number five in the league and fewest points allowed? It's great. I mean, this is a goal we set before the season to be top five or better, and we just want to keep striving for more, so... Just continue to grow and get better in practice. That's what it's about. We're visiting with Eli Apple. The Bengals are off to a 5-2 and two start. You've been a starter on some really good teams in your NFL career. Back-to-back teams in New Orleans that went 13-3. and three. One of those teams made it to the NFC Championship game. Do you see any similarities to those great teams that you were a part of and the current one that you're playing for? Yeah, I think so. I think the love and camaraderie across the board from top to bottom from everybody has been great communication and everything we're just vibing the right way and communicating great out there on and off the field so we just got to continue to build on everything we've been doing did you notice that here right away oh easily from training camp from the really OTAs and meetings and stuff and then once we got out on the field and making plays together we're chatting with Eli Apple when you signed here in free agency in March, you were reunited with a couple of people. Lou Anarumo, who is your position coach with the Giants, and Von Bell, who's been your teammate in college and in the NFL previously. They clearly believed in you and wanted you on this team. Was that important to you? Yeah, it was. I mean, those are guys I respect a lot and played with and have won games with, so definitely respect them and excited to be a part of something great here. This is your sixth year. You've got nearly 4,000 snaps under your belt in the NFL. Who are some of the best receivers you've faced? Wow. The best receivers, of of course, like the Julios, um, the Odell Beckham in practice, Michael Thomas, those guys, and Devontae Adams, to me, he's probably the best right now. You referenced Odell in practice. Now you're practicing against some great ones here in Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Give me your thoughts on those three guys. Yeah, they're great receivers too as well, especially, uh, you know, of course with Jamar, his breakout has been apparent. But uh, they all have great talents and help us get better in practice. During training camp, you battled a bit of a hamstring issue. Were you concerned about the possible impact of that being with a new team? Oh, of course. You never know how some teams are with injuries, and it was uh, unfortunate. I never got hurt that early in camp, so it was something new for me. And, yeah, I'm just glad to be healthy and playing right now. 
So the Bengals are headed to New York this week to take on the Jets. You weren't with the Jets, but you were with the Giants for two and a half years. It's the same stadium. You're going back to the Meadowlands. Does that add anything to this game for you? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's going to be great going back to Jersey. So, uh, you know, the ties there are known for me. And it'll be great just to see some, like, familiar faces around the facility out there that work there and stuff, little things like that. But it's, uh, of course, going in there, number one, to get a win. You were the defensive MVP on a national championship team not too far away from here at Ohio State and were the 10th pick in the NFL draft for a reason. How do you describe your NFL journey to this point? It's been wild. It's been a, a lot, you know, going from a lot of different teams in the last few years, actually. Uh, it's been it's been fun, and I'm, I'm enjoying the ride, and especially this year has been uh, great and had a lot of great moments, and we just want to continue to finish. So. The Bengals have kind of been basking in the glow of last week's victory at Baltimore, getting a lot of positive national publicity as a result. So obviously people are wondering, all right, how do they avoid getting big-headed after that game and take care of business against the Jets? How would you answer that question? We're hungry. Uh, we want more than what we already have right now. So, yeah, we already know the end goal, and we just got to continue to work towards it every day. Best of luck this week. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Eli was not treated kindly by the New York media when he struggled early in his NFL career, so I'm sure he would love nothing more than to have a great game and a Bengals win this Sunday in the Meadowlands. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, to discuss the latest Bengals news and look ahead to Sunday's game against the Jets. Lapham, your second NFL season, 1975, the Bengals got off to an 8-1 and start before losing to the 0-9 Cleveland Browns. The only other games you lost that year were two losses to the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers. So this week, the Bengals are going to say all the right things about being up for the 1-5 Jets. But how hard is it to be sufficiently motivated in a game like this? I remember that loss probably as well as almost any win. You know, when you have something like that happen to you that you shouldn't happen but it does happen so yeah you have to you have to buckle down I mean there's no question about it as the old saying goes it's 17 1 and 0 seasons is what you're trying to get done and uh, it's hard to do there's no doubt about it but we, we had three division losses we were 11 and 3 but we had three division losses and lost twice to Pittsburgh and they went 12 and 2 and, and, and won the division we won as a wild card but um you can never take anything for granted in this league. That's one thing that I found out pretty early on as a player that it just sometimes A plus B doesn't always equal C. There's no question about that. Does it have to come from the players this week? Because we know the coaches, since the invention of sports, have sent the right messages in a game like this. But does it have to come within the locker room? Absolutely, Dan. Because the coaches, I mean, they can they can give you all the verbal warnings and throw all the stats and all the stories they can tell uh, until they're blue in the face. Uh, sometimes it doesn't register until it's too late. You get out there and, and all of a sudden, man, these guys, and they don't look like they looked on film, you know? It's like, <laughs> these guys are pretty good. So uh, if, you're not, if you're not ready to go and, and you get out there and think you can kick it in to gear, 
it's that that's tough to accomplish. That's tough to get done. Um, so, and, and when you look at, at the Jets on on tape, defensive line, they play like a wide nine technique with their defensive ends, and they crash. I mean, it's it, it's going to be a challenge. Their two inside defensive tackles are are, are good. They're solid players, so it's not going to be any day off, any kind of picnic. I think the area they're struggling a little bit is at the linebacker level. They're not playing great at linebacker. They've got a couple of young guys in the secondary, but I think they're solid back there. But the way the Bengals wide receiver core is playing, I think they should be, you know, should be okay. I, I think that in a situation like this, the constant that you're looking for and the constant they've had all year long is the defense coming out and shutting down the, the opponent and maybe let the offense kind of, you know, get themselves into, into gear a little bit because, you know, offensively it's it's so much more timing and coordination, defense, read and react, more kind of that that scenario. So, uh, and then offensively, I mean, they, they get speed at wide receiver. They're, they're, they're pretty good there. I think the offensive line, it's not it's not great by any stretch, but it's, it's solid enough. Of course, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, Mike White will be the quarterback, I would think, for this game and, you're not sure exactly how he's going to play, but that's that's the thing, Dan. The unknown. Sometimes you don't know exactly if they'll game plan the same way they've been, they've been game planning for Zach Wilson at the quarterback position or or not. So there, there's a lot of things you just can't take for granted in a football game like this. And um, New York hasn't been friendly to the Bengals. They had a nine-game losing streak going to New York. And the last time they were there in 2016, won by a point, 23-22, to snap that nine-game losing streak. So. And, and again, coach is going to t- talk all about that. That doesn't mean a hill of beans to th- these two teams. I mean, these two teams, it's a totally different situation. You can go into a historical perspective and spiel on all you want, pontificate. But like you said, the players are going to determine and decide how they come out and how they play in this football game, period. Here's my concern. And it's not a fear, but it is a concern. They picked up Joe Flacco this week. He's not going to get there in time to play. I guess he's not even expected to report until Friday. So they're going to elevate Josh Johnson from the practice squad. We know Josh. He was the Bengals' backup in 2013. He's 35 years old. He's been with 14 different NFL teams, if you include training camp and uh, practice squad, et cetera. I could see Mike White getting off to a terrible start. Josh Johnson comes in. He's running around. He's got no fear. He makes a few plays. And they're in the game. That is my concern. Again, not my fear, but that is my concern. It's plausible, you know. I mean, and he's that he's that kind of player. I agree. Um, you know, you know, it's it's like, well, if he's that great, why didn't he? Why hasn't he been a player all those years? And why is he with all those football teams? But we're talking about one specific game, mm-hmm. one specific day, one specific day and time. I mean, it's not. It, it, it's it's like it's it can happen. Will it happen? You know, don't don't hope hope not. Don't think so, but you know, I, I guess the maybe the uh, the elixir for that may be look at how well they played the week before against a Pro Bowl guy that has those kind of skills. You know, so hopefully there'd be some carryover into how they mush rushed and all those kind of things. You know, they can make some adjustments on the fly. Hopefully, going back to you know maybe some things that they implemented in a game plan to handle the most mobile and athletic guy in the league. Excellent point. All right, Jamar Chase is off to the best seven-game start by a rookie receiver in NFL history. In their wildest dreams, do you think the Bengals anticipated he would have this big of an immediate impact? I can't imagine it. You know, I I mean, I think they realized, you know, right away, when when this guy runs routes, you know, it's like 
you, you see power in so many different ways. I mean, he's got so much lower body power. And when he sinks his hips and gets in and out of cuts, man, it's like it's explosive, you know. And he's got the shortest space quickness. A lot of guys have short space quickness. His is, his is just like unbelievable how strong and powerful he is making his moves. He is that uh, he'll run down the football field and jump, jump at the cornerback, and then go one way or the other. Like a, like a running back will jump cut, but the running back has one foot on the ground when he's jumping. This guy's airborne and, and lands and, and can go either way explosively and he's uh he's you know he's a strong body guy he's well over 200 pounds you know so and, and again the thing that uh, just in my mind separates him is how calm his upper body is when he's he's running like i mean fast and he's tracking the ball because he's not really exerting his upper body and bobbing his head he can just track a ball like crazy when he's going full speed and he's you know he's got that acceleration he's top speed and He's just his upper body is so calm. Um, he's he is a special special player. There's there's no doubt. And you, you just wonder when they're going to start tilting coverage that way a little bit more. They put their best cornerback on him, but it's a rare bird indeed when it has the best cornerback trailing him and then puts another guy on him. I mean that that's that doesn't happen. So you wonder are they going to stay with the same formula of putting their best cornerback on them or will they put the best cornerback on the number two receiver and double him and see how that works? So are they going to make adjustments uh, to Jamar Chase? But he and Joe Burrow, they seem to have an answer for every test, man. It's And and they study together. I mean, they're, they're study partners. They're on the same page. It's unbelievable. Your comment about how still his head is is interesting because your buddy Brian Baldinger said this week you could put a Starbucks on top of his head and you wouldn't spill a drop. Yeah, mine was you could put an egg on there and it wouldn't roll off. You know, <laughs> I mean, same type of thing. I, the, that was the comment I made about watching him run. It's 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 incredible how you know, and and, and you know how it is, Dan. I mean, it, you got a helmet and face mask, and if your if your head's bobbing around, and you know now the the ball looks like it's uh, it's it's on it's, it's in a wind tunnel. You know, it's moving around on you. He's just smooth, and his head's still, and he's tracking that thing and plucking it. How did he drop those passes in the preseason? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, in their first five games this year, the Bengals did not score more than 24 points in regulation in in any of them. In the last two, 34 points in Detroit, 41 in Baltimore. What stood out in the last couple of games to you? Yeah, I just the explosive plays. You know, I think they had... 11 plays of 21 yards or more, you know, runs and passes. And, uh, and when you start chunking like that, boy, that, that just, you, you get, you get all kinds of confidence going. Um, and, you know, that, that helps the defense and the offense obviously feels a little bit more invincible and defensively when, you know, the offense is going out there and scoring in those big shots, boy, that, uh, that gives you a, a jolt of energy. There's, there's no question about it, but I do think that the, the constant, has been the defense like we know they're the only defense in the league that hasn't given up more than 25 points all season and not more than 22 in regulation all season you know the green bay game they got three in overtime to win it so that's been a they have been very very consistent and constant offensively it's been kind of you know there have been lulls there have been you know three straight three and outs one game two straight another game and three out of four possessions and another and then and then they'll get going the biggest constant for them offensively has been two minutes to go in the second quarter and to start the third quarter. I mean, that's where they've they've been as dynamic as anybody in the NFL. 
they lead the league with 34 points coming out of uh, the, out of the locker room in the first drive of the third quarter, and and uh, with the, the in the in the final two minutes they uh, they're in the they're they're tied for third with 34 points in that time frame too. So 68 of their 89 points have come in those two in those two period mm-hmm. time frames, which is great, but. You know, this the thing about this team, Dan, that that is exciting me. They haven't put together four quarters of football yet. It's been they they have defensively, they haven't yet quite yet offensively and defensively. There's still more to get. I mean, they've played four good quarters, but they could play even better for four quarters. So they haven't they haven't. You're not going to ever play a perfect game. There's that's impossible. But I still think there is is more for them to them to generate you know in terms of being uh a complete team and, and uh you know and one one unit supporting the other complimentary football when it comes to the defense i'm about to put you on the spot they're fifth in the league in points allowed sixth in rushing yards per attempt yep. sixth in passing yards per pass they're tied for fifth in sacks here comes the question who deserves the bulk of the credit duke tobin for the free agent acquisitions or defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo for how he's scheming these guys up. <laughs> you know, that's like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. A peanut butter sandwich is good. A jelly sandwich is good. Peanut butter and jelly is better together. <laughs> so, so it's like, I think you know, last year, watching the Baltimore uh, game again, I mean, Lou was trying to do a lot of the same thing schematically to Baltimore and just didn't have the horses to do it. So, um, you know, it's it's it is. It's one of those things where, you, if you you can you can scheme till your heart's content. If you don't have the players, it, it won't really matter that much. You know, um, if if one team has better football players, they're a high percentage of the time going to win the football game. So I think that you know Duke and his staff uh, getting the players that they got and signing them in free agency and hitting on the ones they hit on in the draft and trading for B.J. Hill and. I mean, a lot of things that they've done, man, they've put their bat on the ball. So I do think it's a, you know, it is a, it is a combination. I'd, I'd give them, a, I'd give them co-MVPs of, of that. You know, I'd, I'd give them both the same award and just cut it right in half or give them an award and let one keep it in an office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, <laughs> let the other one Tuesday, Thursday. <laughs> we turn to the offensive line. Pro Football Focus has the offensive line pass blocking efficiency rating. That's what they go with. They've got the Bengals number 10. One spot ahead of the Cleveland Browns. ESPN has its pass block win rate metric. They've got the Bengals down at number 22. They have Cleveland number one. So this stuff is very subjective. (laughs) What do you like about what you're seeing from the offensive line right now? You know, what what I like is, again, um, the quarterback meshing with the offensive line. Um, The offensive line knows and I've been there, that if you give Joe Burrow a half a second more, it's going to be, instead of an incompletion, it could be a massive big play because you know that there are skilled players everywhere. And it's like, man, I just – and we got, we got a guy that can do it. we got a guy that can, can pitch it anywhere. So let's, let's give him time to operate. And so I, I think – that, that motivates you to, you know, be a little bit more focused and tighter with everything you're doing, and, and then you start to feed off each other up front a little bit. Plus, it, with Joe, when you do have a little bit of an issue, 
He is so good at manipulating the pocket, and he's coming back to that. He was talking about that today at his presser, that he feels like he's getting close to where he was before the, the tragic ACL injury and the reconstruction. But that is – that's gold for an offensive line. Man, when you have a quarterback that, you know, it's like, oh, here comes a little slide step, step up, eyes in the back of the head, you know, know exactly when to – uh, that they're, they are closed in on him for, for the final time after he's manipulated the pocket with slide steps and climb steps and all that sort of thing, and then gets it down the football field. It's like, oh, man, Joe saved my butt, man. I got to go save his a few times. It, the, that kind of stuff, everybody, it gets contagious, you know, and guys start to feed off each other, and you start to feel like, man, nobody can beat us, man, you know. We, we, got, we got it going out here. So I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting Maybe, maybe one of these uh, statistical companies decide that if Joe Burrow has to climb the pocket and those kind of things, you know, that they, may, they may grade harsher on the offensive line when those things occur than others. I mean, it, like you said, it is all subjective. Pressure is, okay, well, did pressure mean that he had to climb the pocket? Well, not really. If, if the center and guards did a good job and the tackles kept the pocket wide, it's okay if he climbs the pocket and throws the football. Some people may think anytime the quarterback moves, that was pressure. You know, d- defensive ends, if they're just you know blowing up the football field, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, you know, the, there's jeopardy of a quarterback getting smashed. So it is it is all very subjective, mm-hmm. but I do think that they have a guy who <laughs> can you know, find little spaces to take advantage. Not to say that he can't get out of pocket and succeed. You know, I, I compare compare his skill set to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is great at manipulating the pocket and then he can get out and run. And people, you know, don't really give him – they underestimate his ability to pick him up and put him down. I think Joe's a little bit like that with people. I'm not saying he's Lamar Jackson or anything like that, but uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good the way he can extend plays – some quarterbacks can extend them out of pocket. Some can extend in pocket. Very few can do both. And he's one of those guys that can, can do both. And that, that's a big, that's like I said, that's solid gold for an offensive line. All right, last thing. We are off to the Meadowlands this weekend. It's obviously the home of the Jets and the Giants. When you played the Jets early in your career, those games were at Shea Stadium. I grew up a New York Mets fan, so going to Shea Stadium for me as a kid was a huge thrill but it didn't look like the best place to play NFL football. Am I correct? You are. <laughs> There's a lot of dirt out there. There's no question. Um, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the greatest place in the world, but the first time that I did go to Shea Stadium, Joe Namath was playing. And, man, I was like, I was like a little kid at Christmas. I'm like, I cannot believe that I'm on the same football field as Joe Namath. I literally, honestly, wished I could take an autograph book out there and get Joe Namath's autograph. He didn't play well that day. That was his last, uh, might have been his last game or close to it. We had four interceptions on him that day. Kenny Riley had three of them. And uh, I think he took one back to the house, if I'm not mistaken. And it was, I, I, I kind of felt bad for my hero. You know, it's like, wow, I'm glad we we're kicking their butt. But I wish Joe, Joe wasn't so, uh, a big, such a big factor in it. But he, he was, uh, he was definitely a guy that, that I'm like, I can't believe that I'm actually in the National Football League on the same field as uh, as Joe Namath, but yeah, that was not that was not the greatest uh, the greatest field in the world, and you, you know you had 
um, home plate, the pitcher's mound, you had infield, you had, you had, a, you had little dirt piles everywhere, you know, you had to, it, it, I imagine it was probably a pretty good advantage for the home team, you know, to know where the pitfalls were as such. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting playing at, at Shea Stadium. I'm pretty sure Joe Namath had a 0.0 passer rating in that game, and while you may have felt bad for him, think of it this way. There's probably a pretty good chance that after that game, he was in the company of a gorgeous date based on his track record. At least one. <laughs> it may have been multiple, multiple voluptuos. <laughs> Joe was the man. <laughs> Rookie quarterback Zach Wilson isn't exactly the next Joe Namath off the field. He's a Mormon who attended BYU. But the Jets took Wilson with a second pick in this year's draft with the hope that he will eventually play like Broadway Joe. He's got a long way to go. Wilson ranks next to last in passer rating and completion percentage and has more than twice as many interceptions, nine, as touchdown passes with four. Wilson won't play for the next few weeks due to a knee injury, so former Western Kentucky star Mike White gets the start. Lap and I discuss that and more on the Bengals Game Plan Show with Rich Samini, who covers the Jets for ESPN. I started our conversation by asking Rich where the Jets are strongest. Well, if I were looking at it from a Cincinnati perspective, I think the things you, you would have to look out for are their front four, uh, that is the strength of their defense. They have some pretty good players on the front four, mostly Quinn and Williams, uh, John Franklin Myers. They, they had a game three games ago where they actually had seven sacks in one game. So that's one area I would be concerned with. And they do have some wide receivers. Some They don't have a Jamar Chase, but uh, they have some competent wide receivers. You know, Corey Davis is a proven pro. Same with Jamison Crowder. So they do have some players on the perimeter, but – I'd say that's about it right now. You know, they're they're very devoid of talent right now. You know, I look at uh, a little tape in that front four that you're talking about, Rich. They, they, they'll play those defensive ends on a wide nine technique kind of thing, you know, really, and then just angle them and just crash them inside. And I, I, I agree. I think the defensive tackle pair is strong. I mean, that's a good duo. That, that, that's, that's about as, as good as anybody. It seems to me they're watching – uh, are the linebackers struggling as much as it looks on tape? Are they really having issues there? Yeah, that's a great point. Their linebackers, uh, they, they will get some good news, though, this week because C.J. Mosley is going to play. <clears throat> Their middle linebacker, he did not play last week against New England, and it was basically chaos on defense. They tried a rookie in that spot to call the defensive signals, and it, it went just as a, you would expect with a rookie in there. The players didn't even know how to get lined up, so – They'll get C.J. back in there, and that will help them. And there's also, uh, they're fairly optimistic that Jared Davis, uh, the former number one pick of the Detroit Lions a few years ago, will be back this week. He has not played since the preseason. He's coming off an ankle injury. He was designated for return today, and he did practice. So I think there's a reasonably good chance that he will play on Sunday. So their linebacking core will be much better than it was last week. Our guest is Rich Samini. He covers the Jets for ESPN. Let's talk about the guy that's expected to start at quarterback this week, Mike White out of Western Kentucky. I actually saw him start against the UC Bearcats when he was playing for the University of South Florida. Got in last week when Zach Wilson went down. How do you think he looked? The numbers were okay. How did he look? 
Yeah, I mean, he did okay considering it was his first NFL appearance. I mean, his first NFL throws a touchdown pass to Corey Davis, so that's a pretty good way to start your career. Uh, he is a guy who, you know, quite frankly, we haven't seen a lot of. Dan, you've probably seen more of him than I have. Uh, he played a little bit in the preseason. He made the team as their number two quarterback. It was a kind of a big controversy in the preseason. They decided not to go with a veteran backup. Uh, I was, I think I wrote several columns on that, how they were making a big mistake, and I think that is going to come back to bite him right now. I think Mike White is probably a practice squad player, a third-string type player. He's got a good arm. There's no doubt about that. He's got no mobility, though. And, of course, he's, you know, the inexperience is obvious. So it's going to be really tough for them on Sunday with Mike White at quarterback. Well, it doesn't look like Joe Flacco um, will be much of a factor. He's not even there yet, right? He hasn't reported yet. But right. the fact that he was there and he's got some kind of familiarity with, you know, teammates, different system and all that, but he's been around a long time. Is he the emergency quarterback? Are they going to go in a different direction? Will they go with Johnson? What are they going to do? Yeah, I think uh, Johnson, Josh Johnson, will probably be the number two on Sunday. Uh, as you mentioned, Dave, you know, Flacco, for some reason, they're saying it's personal reasons. He's not actually reporting till Friday, although he did virtual meetings with them today. But he won't actually be on the practice field till Friday. So I would think coming into a new system that it would be kind of a stretch to say he'll be their number two. Uh, I think maybe the following week he'd move into that role, but this week I think he's probably going to be inactive. We're chatting to uh, we're chatting with Rich Semini, who covers the uh, New York Jets for ESPN. What are your impressions of Robert Sala to this point? Well, you know, I was very much in favor of that hire. I thought it was a good hire by the Jets. I mean, he had a good resume with San Francisco, was a you know, Super Bowl coordinator on defense, and uh, the kind of personality, upbeat, passionate guy, leader of men that you needed in the aftermath of the Adam Gase debacle, which just really sapped all the energy out of the organization. They needed someone with some life and some energy to come in, and I think he fit that bill. Now, obviously, there's there's some questions that have come up you know, in recent weeks. The team is regressing. It's not getting better, and so that's a concern. They, they had a bye week to figure out how to play against the Patriots, and they went out and suffered one of their worst defeats in franchise history. They gave up 54 points. That was the most in a game in 49 years for the Jets. So actually 42 years, but still. Uh, so, yeah, there's been some questions. The fan base is getting restless right now. They thought this was going to be a new era. We haven't seen the results yet, but I think you have to remember, and you pointed it out right at the top, Dan, this is an extremely young team. It's the youngest team in the league. They're playing anywhere from six to seven to eight rookies on a weekly basis. So, Rich, in, in your interactions with the organization, what is the feeling that the Jets have with respect to the Cincinnati Bengals in their start this season? Well, you know, I, I think the Jets are – I think this is going to be a tough game. I mean, they're they're confident. They, can, they claim that they have – you know, put away last week's miserable loss. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, that, like a loss like that sticks with you for a while. I don't think you walk away from 54 to 13 that easily. I think it stays with you a little bit, especially when you're a young team and, you know, your confidence is more fragile. So I, I think the first quarter will be very key for this 
Jet team on Sunday because if they get off to another bad start, I could just see it snowballing out of control. I can't believe they haven't scored a point yet in the first quarter. I mean that that's that's remarkable. Yeah, it's quite. I was going to slip that in at some point. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's historic. I mean I have I, I have a ton of stats on it, but I mean it's something you don't see every day. They have not literally they've been outscored forty-four to nothing in the first quarter of games, right. and I think some of that is having a rookie quarterback, you know, it takes, it took Wilson, uh, you know, a, you know, a little, a few series to get it settled into the game and pick up the rhythm. I think some of that goes to the young quarterback, but some of it is just, uh, you know, just poor communication among the offensive line. You know, they have a new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. He's the younger brother of Matt. Right. And this is his first time as an offensive coordinator. And I think his inexperience is showing as well. Rich, you've covered this team for a long time for several different outlets. What do you consider to be rock bottom? Well, last week was was right there. I mean, Dan, I've covered the team. There's only the second time in 30 years covering the Jets that they they allowed more than 50 points. So, I, you know, that's something you don't see every day. And, uh, you know, there's been so many rock bottoms. We were talking about it in the press room today. I mean, the butt fumble game in 2012 against New England where they lost by 30 or 40 points was just embarrassing from a laughing stock kind of perspective. So, Dan, I know your show's limited, and we could go on forever. There's been so many rock bottom bottom points. I I could pick out. I mean, look, I covered the Kotite years. You know, that's enough said. What more do I have to say? Uh, I guess on a more positive note, Brant Boyer, uh, is he doing a pretty good job with special teams? Their return game's pretty good. I mean, they're third in the NFL in punt returns, fourth in kickoff returns. Berrios must be the real deal, huh? Yeah, he's a good coach. Brand Boyer's a guy who's been been here through three different coaching regimes: uh, Todd Bowles, Adam Gase, and now with Robert Sala. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Uh, you know, they've had to, they had to change punters because the Braden man got injured, but they brought in Morstead from New Orleans, and he's done okay. Um, you're right about the return games. You know, they are pretty solid across the board. Uh, they're probably their most dangerous returner is Tevin Coleman. And I don't think he's going to play this week because of a hamstring injury. But special teams, let's put it this way, guys. It's an area that hasn't killed him yet. <laughs> so um, it's the only area that probably hasn't killed him yet, which probably was just like, I just put the uh, jinx on him. Something bad will happen on Sunday. Final question, Rich. Appreciate your time. You carved a lot for us, and we really appreciate that. As a former offensive lineman, I guess I, I'm looking at the offensive line, and I mean, is is it, are they playing pretty solidly? How's the O-line doing? Yeah, that's a, it's kind of a mixed bag, bag there because um, their pass protection has actually improved. Over the right. first three games, they had allowed 15 sacks. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm like, I don't think Zach Will's going to make it much longer because he's getting hit so much. But they actually improved their pass protection. But they can't run block. You know, for whatever reason, I don't I don't know if it's a new scheme. You know, they're doing the outside zone scheme. This is basically the 49ers offense, and they just haven't adjusted to that yet. There's just a lack of communication. There'll be unblocked players, free runners, you know, just, just breakdowns that should not be happening at this stage. And uh, their right guard is, is really struggling, Greg Van Roten. I imagine Sunday won't be much better for him. So their offensive line is is getting a little better, but uh, not really nearly where it should be. 
Our thanks to Rich Samini, and here's a quick reminder to join Lap and Wayne Box Miller for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.